Oh, you, do you know what? What I want to speak to you today is about how to have confidence. And I have to say, you really instill it when someone comes up to speak. You like, are the model congregation for how to instill confidence. <laughs> um, but having, having confidence makes a massive difference in life, doesn't it? In social settings um, and in the workplace, wherever, it, wherever you are, having confidence just makes a massive difference. And there's a multi-million pound industry in people um, helping other people feel confident. I've got a friend who works in the fashion industry. And she says that actually um, what she does isn't about clothes. It's about making people feel confident. But I don't know about you, but I think at different times, we can lack confidence and in different situations. I mean, I actually often feel like I lack confidence. You might not think that, um, me standing up in front of you all, but sometimes I can walk into um, a room and just sort of have to take a bit of a deep breath, you know, to sort of step in. And my football-loving husband, whenever I'm in a situation where I just think, oh gosh, I'm not, I'm not sure I can do this, he says to me, Emily, goals are in the head. Um, you know, if you think it, you'll score, that kind of thing, you know, sort of psyching me up. And I remember my dad once saying to me um, that when he was on his way to an interview or for a new job or a job promotion, what he would do is to try and really, like, psych him up for the interview. He'd get in the car, he'd put Tina Turner on the stereo, and he would just then start singing to himself, you're simply the best, better than all the rest. And I just thought, <laughs> okay. I haven't, got, I haven't quite got Tina Turner's legs for it, but, um, but he would just really sort of psych himself up with confidence to really call that confidence up in himself. But I wonder how confident you feel. Where does your confidence come from? Do you naturally approach life with confidence? Or are you sometimes a little bit like me and sometimes you lack confidence? Or maybe you've, you'd even say of late that you've lost confidence. Maybe you've lost confidence because of a relationship. Maybe you've lost confidence in a relationship, a marriage or a friendship, um, a re you know, a re relationship with a colleague, somebody at work. Maybe you've lost confidence in your work or your ability to, to find work. And as we start a new series on Imperfect Heroes, I'd love us to go to the book of Judges in the Old Testament, chapter four, and look at what the story of Deborah says about where we should find our confidence. Now, the story of Deborah covers two chapters, so just brace yourself as we get to grips with the story. Just to set the scene, God's chosen people, the Israelites, um, are in a tricky spot again, of their own making again. You see, despite God's faithfulness to them, they've got a terrible memory and they have a habit of just going off and doing their own thing and um, just going along with their own desires, which resulted in them being dominated by surrounding kingdoms. And in this story, in this case, King Jabin and his army commander called Sisera, who had a formidable force of 900 iron chariots. That's like top-of-the-range military gear. And... Um, these guys had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. So the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help, and we pick up the story in verse 4. It says, Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. 
she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops, to the river Kishon, and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly, I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kedesh. Now, skipping a few verses, Sisera, he gets wind of this. He gathers his 900 top-of-the-range troops and all his men, and they head to the Kishon River. And then we read again from verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, go. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 following him. So Barak goes with his men. The Lord uh, routed Sisera. Chapter 5 tells us um, that was by... Uh, a, a flood happening across the river, rendering the chariots useless as they got stuck in the mud. And all Sisera's troops were killed by the sword, except Sisera, who then flees on foot. He arrives at a tent, thinking it's an ally. He goes into a tent called a, um, owned by a lady called Jael. She welcomes him in, says, don't be afraid. He says, can I have a drink of water? She then offers him milk, and she cracks open a skin of goat's milk, but that's not the only thing she cracks open that day. He, exhausted from his day and filled with milk, because you know, if you have milk, sometimes it makes you feel a bit sleepy. He falls asleep, and then she grabs a tent peg. Now, don't think focus camping tent peg. So these guys, they weren't camping. These were the tents that they lived in. So this tent would have been 50 foot long and 20 foot wide. So the tent pegs would have been massive. So she grabs one of these massive tent pegs and a hammer, and then she basically takes it, and she plunges it right into his head and into the ground, and he dies. Grim, I know. Um, and then, after that drama, Barak comes along, and um, she explains, look, here's Sisera, I've killed him, and um, just like that, really. And then the enemy was defeated by this woman. The Israelites then grew stronger and stronger, and they eventually destroyed King Jabin too. Chapter five, then, is Deborah's song. It's her sort of worship, as you like. She kind of writes and recalls what happened in the war, as she puts it into song. And at the end of that, in chapter five, it says, then the land had peace for 40 years. That's a bit of a relief. As with so much in the Bible, there's a whole range of things that you could read in that story and that God can speak to you about. But what struck me, boom, boom, pun intended, are you listening to the story? <laughs> what struck me was this theme of confidence. First, Barak lacked confidence. In verse 6, it says, Deborah called for Barak and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't. You know, he looked at the challenge before him and just thought, I'm not doing that. I am not doing that. And I don't think he's a wimp. There's a temptation to look at that story and just think, gosh, just, you know, is he a bit of a wimp? I don't think he was a wimp. You know, he was the um, commander of the army. But I think what he saw was this, what looked like an undefeatable 
um, impossible force to take on. He was full of fear. It was like this huge thing that he was just full of fear. And he's like, I, I don't want to do that. I can't do that. I wonder what's in your life right now that, that looks impossible, that looks undefeatable, that looks overwhelming and intimidating to you. What's robbing you of your confidence? You know, the Israelites, they'd been suffering for 20 years. This wasn't a new thing. He knew what he was up against. He'd experienced it for 20 years. And I know some of you in this room, and I know some of your situations and your stories, and you've been battling with issues of health or finances or a relationship struggle for a long time. And it's hard, isn't it, after a long time to still think, God, can you do anything about my circumstance? Can you do anything to bring about change? Well, Barak lacked confidence too. So what happened next? As a result of the Israelites, they cried out to the Lord. So they called out to God and God spoke to Deborah. Now, to me, Deborah doesn't look like an imperfect hero. She looks a bit of a legend. She's like a prophet. She's a political leader. She's a wife. She's a strategist. She's a creative. She's a songwriter. She's a worship leader. Barak lacked confidence, but Deborah instilled confidence. She hears the word of the Lord and she speaks it out with confidence. The other morning I was at the tube station with one of my sons, Harry, who's 15. He's 15 and like sort of six foot one. But I said to him on the way there, I was like, Harry, have you had a growth spurt? You know, I'm looking up. He just went, uh, no, I think you're probably just shrinking. I was like, oh, thanks. That's why I lack confidence, people. I'm surrounded by men like that. No, he's lovely. Um, but we had to get on the train. We had an appointment to go to. And it was really, really busy. It was packed. The platform was already several people deep trying to get onto the train. Train came along completely full. I think maybe one person could get on. Another train came and went. Exactly the same thing happened. As I say, we had an appointment to get to. The next train that pulled up, still completely rammed. Harry steps on. And then he says to me, you know, get on. And I said, oh, Harry, there's... Like, there's no way we can fit on here. It's absolutely rammed. He just went, you know, get, get on. I said, Harry, we're just not going not gonna to fit here at all because um, it's absolutely packed. You know, no one's got off. He just went, get on. <laughs> so I just went, yes, Harry. <laughs> sort of, you know, who's squashed in the tube? You know how it is when your head's like right up against that curved bit. And obviously, he's quite tall, so it was even more uncomfortable for him. But the point is, you know, when someone speaks with confidence, it moves you to action, doesn't it? <laughs> There wasn't a part of me who was a bit like, hang on a second, I'm the mum here. I should be saying when we get on or we get off. But it meant we got to our appointment on time. But Deborah, she's a wonderful example of someone who instilled confidence. And she doesn't just talk it, she walks it. She puts her money where her mouth is, as it were. And she goes out to war with Barak. She doesn't simply inspire confidence with her words. She instills confidence by her actions. And yet, I'm struck... Bum, bum. <laughs> Sorry, I'm turning it into like some sort of panto, aren't I? And yet I am struck by the fact that it's not Deborah that's listed in Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, that um, list of the heroes of faith, Deborah's not in there. It's Barak who's in there. It says in there, you know, I haven't even got time to mention Gideon and Barak. It's Barak who's mentioned in there. And that really encourages me because when I look at that story, the person who looks like they are the hero and should be mentioned is Deborah. And yet God chooses Barak who lacked confidence and put him in that list of heroes of faith. Barak lacked confidence, 
Deborah instilled it, but the Lord was the source of it. Deborah didn't give a motivational speech or propose a well-considered strategy. Deborah's confidence was in God. That's what makes the difference. Where do you put your confidence? Do you put your confidence in your bank balance? Do you put it in your, um, your job title? Do you put it in your relationships, who you hang around with? Do you put it in one person in particular? But the truth is, you know, people let us down. Where do you put your confidence? Deborah's confidence wasn't in Barak's abilities. She didn't say, oh, go on. I think you can do this. You know, believe in yourself. She didn't say to him like, oh, come on, you've been working out. I reckon you can do this. You know, I reckon you can nail it. <laughs> um, I know, sorry, I won't do any more. I won't do any more. <laughs> it's getting boring, isn't it? Um, you know, she didn't say that. And her confidence wasn't in her own commitment. She didn't just think, oh, do you know what? Yeah, I'm not just going to encourage you. I'm going to go with you because I'm that kind of a person. I'm really committed. And she put her confidence in that. No, her confidence was in God and in his power, his power at work. In verse 6, the Lord said, go, I will lure Sisera Verse 14, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? And her song in chapter five, it's clear. She's not giving anybody credit other than God for the victory that they faced that looked like an impossible victory, but the victory that they then won. Her confidence was in the Lord. Now, I spoke a few weeks ago about um, how at the start of the year, I really struggled with confidence. Not just that, oh, I just lack it a bit. It was a whole other level of really loss of confidence and some of the most sort of basic things. I really didn't want to do anything up front. I didn't want to speak or anything like that. I found it really, really hard. But what I've been learning over these weeks and months is that sometimes God allows you to feel like a loss of confidence which is false confidence anyway, in yourself, so that he can impart true confidence to you. You know, you might lose something, but you gain something greater. Motivational videos and self-help books, you know, they can only get you so far. But the answer to fear in our lives, the answer to anxiety in our lives, is not more confidence, it's more Christ. It's more Jesus. And the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Philippians in the New Testament talks about putting no confidence. He says, no confidence in the flesh. He says in Philippians 3 verse 4, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's, just, he's talking about his credentials. He's talking about his character. He's talking about his connections. He's talking about his pedigree, his privilege, his prizes. He's saying, I'm the best of the best, and I'm from the best of the best. I'm like top of the class. He's saying, I'm nailing it on every front. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> then he says this, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. When you've lost your confidence, you can have confidence in his resurrection power. It's his power in our weakness. American pastor Stephen Furtick said, 
God will allow circumstances in your life to crucify false confidence, to bury your need to prove, and to get ready for a resurrection of faith. And I find this hugely challenging, but also at the same time really freeing because it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. It's not about how I perform. It's not my performance. It's not your performance. It's his power. And on the face of it, the Israelites could not outperform Sisera and his 900 iron chariots. Yet, they were defeated by a woman with a tent peg. And as is so often in the Bible, God uses imperfect people and unlikely means to accomplish his purposes and fulfill his promises. He used Moses with a shepherd's staff. He used Joshua with a shout. He used David with a stone. He used Gideon with shattered jars. And he used Samson with a jawbone. The list goes on. But the point is, the Lord says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I've seen that over and over in my life, and I've seen it in the lives of people around me. And I just want to finish by telling you about one person in particular. His name's David Hill. He comes to this church, and um, David went to school in a rough part of Birmingham. He grew up going to church, um, but he didn't really do very well at school. He didn't um, fit in at church. At the age of 14, he started taking drugs um, daily, which led to heavier drug use, and by the age of 17, he was completely addicted. He then spent the next 10 years or so in a cycle of sort of going to church and then not going to church, sort of being in a relationship with God and then falling out of a relationship with God, falling away again. At age 30, David moved to London, and he started training to be a firefighter. And because of his work, um, it increased his thoughts about his own mortality. He started coming to church, came to HTB. He did Alpha. He says that God turned his life around, totally changed his life around. And he worked in nearly all the stations, all the fire stations north of the river. And this is what he said. I got used to being in a brutal and militant environment. And yet, none of my experience to date had prepared me for one night in particular. After a tough time on the first night shift, I went to bed by the radio in the watch room at the station around 11.30 p.m. I was watching some videos from Elevation Church to fill my mind with some encouragement before I went to sleep. After a tough first night shift, he listened to that, wanting to instill some positivity and get some focus. And he went to sleep. At 1 a.m. in the morning, he says, our command unit got a shout to respond to an incident. On the way back to the station, our radio had a lot of radio traffic from what appeared to be a very bad fire, a fire we were then called on to. This turned out to be the Grenfell fire. There were units at the scene already, but on our arrival, the building still appeared to be 50% alight. My teammate and I were the seventh crew in and were asked to respond to a rescue call on the 12th floor. On the way up, I was separated from my partner who went down to assist another crew with a casualty. I continued up to the 12th floor and made my way to the flat and I knocked on the door, which was answered by a family of four, a mum, dad, and two daughters. 
through the smoke and zero visibility, we made our way down the tower, taking off my mask a number of times to give the family air to breathe. We needed to move faster, so I picked up and carried one of the daughters down the stairs and brought her to clean air, which would have been around the third floor of the tower. He gave her to another firefighter, and then he says, I made my way back up the tower. The dad brushed past me as I went down. I picked up who I then believed to be the other daughter. She was heavier than I thought she would be, and it wasn't until I got to clean air that I realized it was the mum. My thought at the time was the father must have carried out the daughter. At this point, I was unable to continue. My automatic distress signal unit was going off. I was out of air and exhausted, and I was found by another crew member who took me out and gave me oxygen. Outside, I quickly recovered and radioed through my actions, but then became fearful that the father might not have carried out his youngest daughter, in which case she would still be in the fire. So I immediately passed this information on. The crazy thing that the rest, the rest of the night was, as I was running the fire survival guidance calls between the command unit and the bridgehead, I had that same refrain going round and round in my head. A miracle can happen now for the Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around that the Spirit of the Lord is here. But what I was seeing did not match up with what was going around in my head. The only way to get to the tower was by escort of the riot police under their shields as large pieces of fiery debris were falling from the tower. And the burst hydrant of showers of water from the jets meant that we were a few foot deep in murky water all around us. The evidence is all around that the Spirit of the Lord is here. It doesn't feel like this. It doesn't match up. I was worried about the daughter, yet those words wouldn't go away. In the days following the fire, David went round to several hospitals to try and find out information from that family and to try and find and locate the daughter and see what happened that night but without success. It was only a few weeks later, just at the beginning of this month, that David actually got a report of what happened to the family that night. The father had phoned his sister and said that they were going to die in a fire. Then he went into the lounge and the father said he heard a voice saying, it's not your time, you can get out of this. He went to his family with whom they'd made a united decision to stay together and to die together and said to them, do you trust me? They said yes. He said then, we can make it out of this. As they made their way to leave, David arrived and knocked on the door. On the 999 call, you can hear the father saying, a firefighter is already here. Thank God, God save us. David learned that the father had indeed picked up the youngest daughter and managed to carry her out to safety. She had survived. The whole family were saved. In the face of unimaginable fear, David, who is a quiet, extremely humble, unassuming man, said he's amazed that despite his lack of confidence, despite his incredibly fearful youth, that God managed to use him to save lives that night. Though he had a history of being at church and not being at church. He was at times unfaithful in his relationship with God, and yet God used him to save lives that night. David Hill, imperfect, 
Yes. A hero without a doubt. The Israelites were in a cycle of unfaithfulness and David's story is similar and I think all our stories are similar. My story is similar. A story of unfaithfulness in my relationship with God on a weekly basis, a daily basis, actually probably an hourly basis of times when I'm close to God and then I do stuff that I shouldn't do or don't wanna do. But God takes our imperfections and he uses them. And it's as we encounter him, it's as we receive his Holy Spirit that God imparts confidence, true confidence, his confidence, like Deborah, in us. Now for some of us tonight, the biggest move that we can make is actually a move away from ourselves, as it were, from being self-reliant, or actually even being a bit self-obsessed with sort of our lack of confidence, because you think when your eyes are on you, they're not on Jesus. And so my encouragement tonight is to look to Jesus again. And whatever situation you're facing, whatever's going on in your life that feels like a mountain that needs moving, a situation that seems undefeatable, impossible, to look not to your own resources and not to look within yourself to muster up confidence, but to look to God, to look to Him for whom nothing is impossible.